We've thought a bit about the geography and some of the mechanics of home group. And just in the last few minutes we have, by way of conclusion, I want to use this time to think about the why. Why would you bother gathering regularly at home group? Uh, when it's a Thursday afternoon on a busy week, your first priority is get through to the weekend. But then your wife sends you a text, says, pick up extra milk, it's home group tonight. And you remember what you had previously forgotten, that your Thursday night is no longer your own, because home group's coming. And you let out a slight groan, and you start to ask, why do we even do home groups? This may or may not be a true account of actual events. But that does bring up the question, why make it a priority? And behind all the details, all the various aspects of home groups, I want to leave us with this verse from James chapter 1, the second half of verse 21, as we try and distill down or, or sum up one core goal for home groups this year. And James says, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So why do Crescent home groups exist? Well, in James's words, it's because God's goal for us as a church family is the salvation of our souls. Now, initially that might sound a little bizarre, a bit grandiose, but that's why Crescent home groups exist. And that is why they ought to be a top priority because God's goal for us as a church family is the salvation of our souls. Now, what does that mean? Well, in biblical language, the soul is not part of you. It's not something you have, like something you keep in a compartment of your heart or something you keep in a safe place. You are a soul. It is who you are. It is the whole of who you are, your personality, your character, your, your potential too. My soul is the, the true sub, sum and substance of who I, Tim Graham, am. And yes, God has secured a place for me in heaven, but more than that, he is now committed to the continual redeeming of me, my character, my personality, the ongoing work of saving my soul. And that's the goal of home groups. To put it another way, in the words of Paul, like he says to the church in Ephesians chapter 4, God's goal is that we might grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So Paul puts it a different way. God's goal is that we might grow up, that we might grow up to be like Jesus Christ, our head, both individually and as a body together. So it's, it's explicit in Ephesians, and it's implicit in James and in every other part of the New Testament that this is a project that has to happen in community. We can't grow into mature Christians in isolation. God doesn't save our souls in our own little bubble. So that's the goal. That's the why. That's what Jesus prayed for the night before he went to the cross. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The why is that we might be changed bit by bit to become more like Jesus. And that can't happen without our church community. So home groups exist to encourage one another in God's eternal plan for our glorious sanctification. 
It's big, it's grand, but that is the goal. That's the why, and we're unapologetic about it. So everything we do in home groups, all the details you've thought about tonight or we've talked about tonight, taking the scripture seriously, caring for one another, building communities, relationships, praying through our worries, giving thanks to God for our blessings, giving each other whatever wisdom we might have, listening to one another, all of that is an outworking of this becoming more like Jesus, growing up together, becoming more mature, our souls being saved, being sanctified. And so on a dark and wet Thursday evening in the middle of a busy term, when I feel tired and a bit grumpy, I'm convinced that that is something worth turning up for. So how do we pull this off? Well, firstly, did you notice the little phrase that James uses, the implanted word? That might seem initially a bit of a strange way of describing the word of God, the implanted word, but he's intentionally echoing Jesus when he talks about the word of God as a seed. And when God brought new life to us, he did it through the word. And he put in us the implanted word. So those of us who are born again, it's part of our DNA, the word of God. And that's where the power for change comes from. It's innate. It's a a permanent part of us now, and no growth can happen if we're not continually receiving the word as our guiding and commanding authority. It's the implanted word. That's the how. I've used this illustration before. I got it from John Piper. To explain this, he contrasts our kidneys and oxygen. Both of them are implanted in us. We both have kidneys in us, and we both have oxygen. But the difference is our kidneys came with us when we were born. And we kind of have them there, but we don't really think about them. We don't sort of have to continually receive our kidneys. They're there, and we only have to worry about them when they go wrong. But oxygen is different. We need oxygen implanted in us. But as oxygen comes in, it gives us life, and we continue to breathe. And in breathing, we receive more oxygen. And at no point do we say, well, I've had enough oxygen, that's grand, that'll do me for today. It's something we need to continually receive, and it continually needs to be implanted within us. And so that's why our home groups are are built around the reading, the study, the reflection on the Bible, because it's the implanted word which we continually need for the saving of our souls. And to be honest, I think we here at Crescent, we, we, we get that pretty well. That's fundamental to, to who we are and what we do. But it's not the, the wise sage sitting in the corner of the room giving us all the answers, but it's the, the body of Christians, the brothers and sisters meeting together and gathering around God's word because it's the oxygen that we need for our spiritual vitality and growth. Secondly, on the how, firstly, the implanted word, do you also notice, and I think this bit might be more pertinent to us, we receive it with meekness, James says. You see, we must allow the word of God to become interwoven into every fabric of our being by receiving it with humility, James says, out of a, a realization of our need, from a place of dependence. I've been to many, many Bible studies, also known as Bible readings in the past. I spend much time debating words and sentences and context. 
a footnote here or a manuscript variant there or a theological opinion here or a commentary quote there. And they don't do much of anything else. And they feel stuck in what Paul warns Timothy about, quarreling over words. And James says if our home groups are existing to save our souls, to, for our growth, for our sanctification, then we must not waste our time and miss the point. We must come ready to receive the word with expectant hearts, humble hearts, obedient hearts. Absolutely, yes, context is vital. Structures are helpful. Grammar and logic it is important that the flow of thought of the passage is essential, but all of those things are necessary but not sufficient. We need to get to the so what. That's why home groups exist. What was the aim that the Holy Spirit had in this passage? And what does that look like in my life this week? Receiving with meekness the implanted word so that we don't easily, so easily fall into the trap of the Pharisees to whom Jesus warned. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But they missed the whole point. They failed to see the Messiah standing in front of them, the very one the scriptures pointed them to. So yes, we examine the word absolutely with care and with diligence, but more important that the word examines us that we receive it with meekness, hearts ready for change. You know, an analogy someone once gave me was that studying the Bible without opening ourselves up to change is like listening carefully to a doctor's diagnosis, but never actually taking the medicine we're prescribed. The big goal that we might Continue in the work of God, saving our souls. The how, by receiving with meekness the implanted word. Just as we close, finally, what might this look like? There's loads of indicators. If we make this the goal of home groups this year, and if we commit to the how, there's loads of indicators, I think, that will follow. But there's just one that I've always noticed, and I think it's quite helpful to consider, and that's the nature of our prayer requests. As Richard said, we often spend... 45 minutes to an hour, studying the word, and then taking some time to pray. And we too use the list that is emailed out from the office, and we use the events of the church calendar to pray, and those are good and important priorities. But if that's the only depth we ever get to with what we ask for prayer, have we really grasped that the goal is growing together and becoming like Jesus, and the ongoing work of God saving our souls? If the goal is him through his spirit to, to use his word to make us more like Christ, then maybe our prayer requests would become a little bit more personal. Maybe a little bit more about the stuff that's going on on the inside, the stuff that people doesn't, don't see, the spiritual warfare, our attitudes, our desires. Maybe we'd say things like, in the light of the truth of the passage we've thought about tonight, here's how I would love for you to pray for me this week. See, it's easy for me to ask you to pray for the things that are outward, that you already can see. Like the fact that my kids are little terrorists on a Sunday morning and running up the walls. It's easy for me to say, can you please pray that my kids will be better behaved? Because you already know that. That's, that's, not, that's safe. It's a bit more of a risk for me to say, can you pray for me because I keep losing my ride with the kids? 
And I know that's what part of me that God has to save. That's part of my soul that he has to save. That's a way in which I need to become more like Jesus. So if the goal of our meeting together is becoming more like Christ, surely those more personal, more vulnerable issues should be how we are praying for one another in the security of a loving, committed home group community. We can stop pretending Home groups can become a place where less than sanctified believers admit that's what they are, but earnestly desire to grow together. There will develop an honesty, an accountability, a deep care for one another as we pursue Christ-likeness together, as we receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our souls. So as we conclude in time, Post-COVID lockdowns, it's time for a home group reset, and that's what we're doing. But first and foremost, let's get sanctification as the central ambition of our home groups. We exist, home groups exist, because together we want to become more like Jesus. That is God's great ambition for our lives. And he is glorified, his kingdom advances as we pursue this goal. And everything flows from that. Friendship, relationships, Bible study, confession, prayer, evangelistic zeal, as we grow in our love for Christ and our desire to be more like him. And if we can work that together, all of us, every part of this fellowship, as we listen together to the implanted word, encourage one another to humbly receive it and connect the eternal truths with the busyness of every day, then we will see the power and work of God amongst us. So much so that even when it feels like a chore, turning up at small groups stops being just an obligation on the calendar and starts being a delight that we can't afford to miss. Amen.